Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 1, 9-15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can have a seat. It's good to see a lot of your whole faces today. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, hey, we are in week three of a series in the Gospel of Mark. If you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, just by way of introduction, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up uh, as, a, uh, as a Baptist kid in youth group in the late 90s, early 2000s. So if you ran in like a similar circle to me, uh, you might hear that and go like, okay, you make a lot more sense to me right now. And uh, if you did not run in those same circles, you might be going like, oh yeah, you make a lot of sense to me right now. I knew you were weird and uh, I knew I didn't like you. Uh, maybe not, maybe, uh, maybe you have more grace than that. But uh, um, but that was kind of me growing up. I, uh, I was not a popular kid in school. I was not the coolest kid. Um, I was church cool, um, if that was the thing. I don't want to brag about that, but I was pretty church cool. And, um, and so, uh, I, you know, that was kind of where I was at. And that went to a whole other level in 10th grade because in 10th grade, uh, I started lead worship in my youth group. And uh, what was really amazing about that is I got keys to the church building, and I had unlimited access to the church building as a 16-year-old kid. And some of you are like, why would that be cool? And you wouldn't understand, but it was cool. And, um, and so I, had the, you know, I was able to get into the church anytime, and it was like band rehearsal whenever I wanted, hanging out with friends, mostly hanging out. Uh, by myself because I didn't have that many friends. But I remember this one evening uh, when I was hanging out by myself at the church, and, uh, and I remember hanging out in our youth room, and I spotted this box um, of CDs that was kind of tucked away behind some sound equipment. If you don't know what CDs are, ask your parents, your grandparents. Um, this was like, it was not records, but it was like, it was back when we liked for our music to be round. So it was, it was how we listen to music in these days. And uh, I see this box, and it is full of CDs. And I'm going like, what is, is this, like, 
new Charlie Hall, what's in there? And so I, I, I go to this box and I start looking through. And immediately I realize, like, there is not any Charlie Hall uh, or anything like that. This, this box was full of music that, in my mind, probably should not have even been in a church. Uh, there's a lot of really, like, sinful stuff in here. There's some Blink-182 and some Eminem and some George Strait, just, like, really crazy stuff. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I realized what this was because several, several months earlier, uh, our youth group had gone to church camp. We'd gone to False Creek. And it was an amazing week. Uh, several of my friends had put faith in Jesus. It was like our whole group. It was like we had a real encounter with God. And, uh, and our youth minister on the heels of that was like, hey, I think we could all agree that the most important thing we could do now is destroy all of our secular music. And we were like, I, you're the boss, you know. And, uh, and so we had this big thing where we all brought like anything that was not love songs to Jesus. We just brought it all and we put it in this box. And so I see this box and I'm realizing two things. Like one, that guy is a procrastinator like crazy. And, um, and uh, so that's a separate issue. Uh, there's no excuse for this. But I also realized at the time I had put um, a CD. It was uh, Metallica Black Album. And, um, and, I, and I realized at, at the time I had put this in and this is probably... This, is, this had happened before. I was 16. I'd been in church for a long time, and I'd been to some other camps. And this was, this was kind of routine for me. And so I'd probably bought that album three other times. And, and after camp, we, like, threw it in a fire once, and uh, I think we smashed it with a sledgehammer once. And once again, I'm here, and it's, like, six months after camp. And uh, I'm, like, looking at this box of CDs, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm probably about to buy that album again. And uh, it's right there. That's my CD. And, um, and so like I could go buy it again or I could just get mine. And, and in my 16-year-old brain, I'm like, it's about stewardship at this point. Like I could tithe that money. And, uh, and so I go, okay, I'm just going to get mine because it's mine. And, um, and so I start digging through this, this box of CDs. And then I see like a ton of other treasure. And so I'm like, you know what, my friends don't even know this exists. They probably thought our youth minister, like, threw this in the lake on his spare time. They probably already bought these CDs again, you know. And so I'm like, I'm just going to take what's here because nobody will know. And so um, I take, you know, five, ten CDs and uh, find some good stuff, Men in Black soundtrack, things like that. And, uh, and I take them all, and I, I put them, you know, everybody had that huge, like, 500,000 CD binder, and I put them in there, and I, I took that binder and listened to those CDs, and I mean, probably to this day, like, have those things, like, in my attic. And, uh, and that story does not have anything to do with this sermon. I just needed to get that off my chest. Um, no, 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 really. Uh, here's why I share that. In that moment, I was asking a question. I didn't know I was asking a question, but I was asking a question. And I was asking a question that a lot of you are asking. And I was asking a question that a lot of people outside of the walls of this building are asking. And the question that I was asking was, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Like, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Now, I I totally wasn't articulating it that way. Um, and you aren't articulating it that way, and they aren't articulating. But, but we're saying things like, you know, if you grew up in the church, you're saying things like, hey, back when we destroyed our secular CDs in youth group, like, 
was that what it really meant to follow Jesus? Was that real Christianity, right? Or, or you know, just like fill in the blank, and, and maybe it's like silly stuff, or maybe it's like really real painful stuff, and you go like, man, when that happened, when we did that, when, when these things took place, was that really what it was, right? We're wrestling with this. Like, we're wrestling with this. Some of us in this room, people outside of the wall, right? like, we as a culture are wrestling with what does it really mean to be a Christian? And we live in this age of deconstruction where in the church, our options are, hey, we either, A, we, we deconstruct everything, including God, and we sort of just saw off the branch that we're standing on, right? Or... Maybe there's a way that we try to deconstruct in good faith with some intellectual honesty to a certain point where we sort of try to eat the fish and spit out the bones. But the question that we're left with is where is the line? Where's the line? And I think if we can try to give each other the benefit of the doubt, right, and just assume like, okay, if you're, if you're deconstructing, like maybe you're trying to get to the truth. Like I'm sure there are those out there who just are like, let's blow everything up, right? But I think for a, a lot of people, right, as misguided as some of us may be, like we're looking for something true, something real, bedrock, right? And we're going like, I got I to gotta dig through things that seem really, really strange because I want to find the truth. And if we, if we give everybody the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, they're just looking for the truth, the problem is if you don't know what the truth looks like, you're just going to fly right past it. So today we're going to look at this text where Jesus is going to go through the waters of baptism and he's going to go through the wilderness and ultimately he's going to go into his calling and his ministry, which, and we've talked about this in the last two weeks, this would have reminded Mark's audience of, uh, if, if they were to like look back and remember, it would have reminded them of the creation story. It would have reminded them of Adam. It would have reminded them of the people of Israel, right? And God bringing the people of Israel out of bondage, right? Through the waters, through the wilderness, into the promised land. And so Jesus is inviting us to look back. Jesus is inviting us to remember, but he's not just inviting us to look back. Jesus also wants to model some things for us. Those of us who are asking, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus is quite literally showing us what the first century Jewish Christians called the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. So here's how I want to frame up our time together. If you think about, uh, if you ever took a psychology class in high school, I think we all probably had the same teacher, like the guy with the ponytail and all the lava lamps in his room, like Freud and the, you know, development of the human personality and the id and the ego, all that stuff, right? Like in a similar way, Jesus is showing us how the Christian life develops and unfolds over time. There's a natural order to it, but then there's also some overlap. There's, there's things that we learn in one season of growth that are going to prepare us for the next and so on and so forth. And so with that in mind, let's look at three places that we're invited to follow Jesus into. And the first place that he invites us into is the water. Look again at Mark 1, 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now there's a lot there. We could preach an entire sermon on just this section on baptism. I'm not going to do that because Pastor Sean did it last week. So go listen to that podcast if you missed it. But I want to dig into the narrative here because there's something really incredible that, that Mark uh, kind of highlights for us. And, um, and, and here's what it is. Uh, do a little thought experiment with me. Um, imagine that you are brand new to the Bible, like have no prior background. Imagine that you are on a desert island You've never read the Bible. You have no context for Christendom. Maybe you've never read a book. You've never been influenced by culture. And somebody shows up on this island, and they hand you the Gospel of Mark. And at some point, you learned how to read, but that's not, it's not important how. Um, but they hand you the, the Gospel of Mark, and you start to read this. Chances are, um, as, you, as you start to, to read the Gospel of Mark, you're going to get through the first about eight verses, and you're, you're very likely going to start to say, like, I think this is a story about this guy, John, right? The story seems to be focusing on him and on his ministry. He's coming out of the wilderness. Uh, he, is, he is this following. He's calling people to the waters. He's baptizing people, and, uh, and it seems to be about John. Now, now we know, right, like 2,000 years later, we know how the Gospels play out, right? As a Gospel-centered church, we know, like, hey, even the, the verses in the Bible that don't say Jesus, like, we know they're about Jesus, right? We know those things. But for the, the original hearers of this, for the people who were there and living it out, right, like, this highlights something pretty significant. And it's this, that at this point, Jesus is nobody. He's nobody. He's not significant. He's not impressive. He hasn't done a lot. Now, and in Mark's gospel, it really highlights that. We don't get the background of Jesus' birth like some of the other gospels, right? We don't get Jesus in the temple as a boy. We don't get what Luke says that, you know, between the temple and, and the baptism, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. We don't get any of that. We get John, and then we get Jesus showing up to the water. Jesus with no ministry under his belt, no miracles having been performed, no, no followers, no disciples. And so Jesus shows up at his baptism with nothing to offer, no resume, right? No, no following. He's not a religious leader. He's unknown. He's an ordinary blue-collar Worker, And so we, this, this image that we have where Jesus shows up to his baptism and the crowd parts and everybody's like, oh, it's Jesus. Like, just like block that out because the reality is like as Jesus approaches the Jordan, like he's walking past people and people are like, who is this guy and why is he cutting? Like, that's, that's the approach. Like, people are like, we have no clue who this guy is. And here's why that matters. Because Jesus gets into the water and he receives this crazy affirmation from the Father. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. No qualifiers, right? It's not, hey, you know what? You have done so much incredible ministry, so I love you, right? I'm so pleased with how you've, 
gotten all of these disciples to follow you and racked up all of this impressive ministry in your resume. Like, none of that. Jesus in the water, having done nothing, and, and, and the Father looks down and he goes, hey, you are my son, and I love you, and I'm so pleased with you. Now, I say that's crazy, and yet a lot of us are still like, hey, but we, like, he's still Jesus, second person of the Trinity. That's not really that crazy. But here's the truth, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, you had a moment like this. In the waters of baptism, you had a moment like this. Now, maybe the Father didn't audibly speak. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit didn't descend on you in bodily form. Maybe the heavens weren't torn open. Although if you were baptized in this room, like maybe you thought it was going to happen, like the roof was going to tear off. Um, God willing, it won't. But listen, there was a moment where you came to the waters of baptism and you brought nothing to the table. God was not picking a dodgeball team going like, that's the one. I need him, right? I got to have her. No, man. You brought nothing to the table. And as you stood before the church to testify, hey, I love him. I'm going to follow him. And, and you meant, hey, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to testify to the church. Your father, actually, he, he aimed to testify to his church. Hey, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. And I want everybody to know right now that I am pleased with them. They belong to me, right? They didn't, it's not because of anything that they did or didn't do. It's because they are mine. I love them so much. David Platt says, doesn't it take your breath away for a moment to hear God say, I love you? To which we in our sinfulness must certainly respond, Why? And then to hear him answer, because you're my child. To which we ask the obvious question, why would I, a hopeless sinner, now be called your cherished child? Only to hear him say, because I wanted you and I came to get you so that you might know me as father. Friends, the way of Jesus begins with a new birth and it begins with a father's love. And then the next place we're taken is number two, the wilderness. And this feels like a, a total sucker punch. But Mark 1.12 says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. I don't know about you, but early in faith, I had this thought like, God is always going to take me to easy places. He's going to always take me to good places. Like if I ever end up in a place where it's hard or dangerous or I feel like I'm being tempted or tried, like it's probably because of something I did, right? Like I probably deserve it. Like I don't, like you can't think that about Jesus, right? Like there's no reading of that where you're like, well, probably Jesus, you know, maybe he just took a wrong turn. No, he's Jesus. And this is where, this is where Jesus is led first by God the wilderness. And we don't even need to unpack what that is, right? Like we know the wilderness. Mark's audience knew the wilderness, right? They knew Israel wandering 40 years in the wilderness, hope deferred, suffering, trial, temptation, 
They knew all of this. The wilderness, friends, it's not a fun place. Nobody is, nobody is like, like Pastor Aaron is on sabbatical. He's not planning a, a weekend getaway in the wilderness. Like it is not a fun place. It is not a good place. And yet this is where Jesus is taken. From a place where God affirms his identity, right? This is my son. That's who you are. To this place where he faces Satan, right? This title that, that literally means the accuser, right? From affirmed by the father to 40 days with the accuser, right? Who's going to, one, pick at his identity for 40 days, right? Are you really God's son? Is that who you are? He's going to do that, and he's also going to tempt him. And he's going to do that in really subtle ways, right? You notice, you notice in other Gospels, like Satan is not tempting Jesus in really blatant ways. Satan's never like, hey, Jesus, go murder that guy and then bow down and worship me, Satan. Like, it's, it's like really subtle, right? Hey, Jesus, you've been out here for like 36 days, and you're pretty hungry because you haven't eaten anything. So there are some stones on the ground. You could turn those into bread, and then you could eat that bread. So why don't you do that? And this is, the, this is the same kind of thing that happens to us in the wilderness. The accuser, he picks at our identity. Are you really a child of God? Are you really a child of God? Just a minute ago, we're talking about standing in the waters of baptism and the father affirming you and saying, this is my child, this is my son, this is my daughter. Do you remember that? Because I don't remember that. Did that really happen? Did you really experience that? Picks at our identity. He tempts us. And he tempts us in ways that honestly sometimes don't really even feel like temptation because A, he's the father of lies and B, He's always going to tempt us in concert with our broken and sinful desires, right? So the, the temptation sounds like, hey, do you really have to submit your sexuality to God? Right? Like, who really cares about what you're doing as long as you're not hurting anyone? Can't you just be true to yourself? But it's in this place. It's in a place exactly like this that Jesus stands Firm. And Jesus calls us to do the same. Stand firm and resist the evil one. To walk in the way of Jesus. Obey all of his teachings. Listen, some of you started following Jesus and you were like, man, that is not a problem. I'll, I'll follow Jesus. I'll resist the evil one. Like, that is not an issue. And, and you thought, man, my, my passion for him will, will never wane I will never struggle again with the sins of my youth. And today, you're in the wilderness. And you feel like you've been there forever. And you don't know up from down. And you're like, I don't know. I just want out of this. Can I just share some good news with you? Two things. Good news in the wilderness. One, you're not alone. You're not alone. For the people of Israel, as difficult as the wilderness was, as painful, as much suffering, as much longing, as much hope deferred as there was, they knew that God had not abandoned them. God was with them. It wasn't always how they wanted him to be with them, but he was with them. He was providing. He was caring for them. He was leading them. And the same thing is true for us. 
This is why in the 23rd Psalm, David is able to say, hey, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. With me. God is with you in the wilderness. And God also saved you into a family. You are not saved to be a Lone Ranger Christian who shows up on Sundays and then pretends like everything is okay and then you walk through the wilderness alone. You're not. The reason that we're always telling you guys, hey, get in a community group, get in a community group, get in a community group. It's not so that I have a job. It's because we actually love you. And we know that you are not made to walk through the wilderness by yourself. You need brothers and sisters who can walk with you, who can bear your burdens, and who can encourage you to stand firm and resist the evil one, but you're not alone. The other piece of good news in the wilderness is that God's not going to waste a single second of time in the wilderness. He's going to use that time to grow you, form you, and shape you, and mature you, and deepen you. And I know if you're in that place, you're like, dude, shut up. Like, you don't want to hear that. And I know. I mean, I've, I've been in that place. And, uh, and even, like, coming through and being on the other side and experiencing the fruit of you know, more maturity, seeing the ways that God worked to grow me and deepen me and seeing the change that's happening, all of that. There, it's like, there's no way I want to go back through that again, right? I don't want to go back into that. That's hard. I don't want that. I don't like it. And yet, God always takes us into those places for our good, for our sanctification and out of love. So, Jesus invites us into the waters. He invites us into the wilderness. And lastly, Jesus invites us to follow him into the work. Mark 1.14 says, Now after Jesus was arrested, he came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus goes through the water, the wilderness, and then into the work that's actually going to take us all the way through the rest of this gospel to the cross, right? Jesus is preaching this message of, hey, you've been looking for uh, the, the power and the presence of God, and I'm telling you, the time is now. It's here. It's in me. Uh, and, and so Jesus is going to start proclaiming this gospel. He's going to be demonstrating this kingdom, and this is the very same work that Jesus invites us into. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I'll pause right here because a lot of us know those two verses, and praise God for that, right? Man, I love to to be reminded of like, what does it mean that I've been saved by grace? Like, you know, occasionally, like I want to just like geek out and remember like, how has God saved me? It's not because of my works. It's because of Jesus. Like, that's amazing. But how often do we just stop and go like, but why? Like, Jesus, why did you save me? Like, what was the point? I mean, I mean, I know you didn't save me just because I, I was so good, but why? And, and we get to that in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, if your understanding of the Christian life is that 
you're, you're saved. And then maybe if you're a little unlucky, you face some trials and some temptations. But, but ultimately, we're just kind of running out the clock until we die or Jesus returns. If that's your understanding of the Christian life, you are wasting it. And I know that sounds really harsh, but that's actually the entire selling point of the way of Jesus. This is the way Jesus says it, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard some bad gospel presentations in my day. And I think if I was one of Jesus' disciples in that moment standing by, I'd be like, Jesus, that is not helpful. Like, you are not convincing anyone to follow you. Deny yourself. Like, everything that you want, all of your desire, like, you got to deny that to follow you. you got to take up your cross, your instrument of death, and follow you to your death. In his book, Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer distills this really well, and he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Friends, the work that Jesus calls us to has nothing to do with our comfort, has nothing to do with our health or our prosperity. It's not about catering to ourselves. It's about abandoning ourselves. Jesus calls us to a life of obedience, of enemy love, proclaiming his gospel, demonstrating his kingdom, and for us to give ourselves to that work, our kingdoms have to come down. I'll never forget uh, hearing the story of a, a pastor of a, a healthy, thriving church um, who had encouraged hundreds of his church members to uproot their lives and move across the country uh, to be a part of a church plant in Seattle, which at the time was one of the least churched cities in the country. And this caused a, a bit of an uproar in the church and uh, a bit of grumbling. And, uh, and people started to say amongst themselves, like, man, what, what is he even thinking? We have a really beautiful thing going here. Seems like the church is really healthy like we love, like on Sunday mornings, like we love this fellowship. When we sing, it's beautiful. It feels like God's presence in the room, in our community groups. It just feels like spiritual family. And, and, and he, you know, now he's sending people and it's just messing everything up. And this pastor catches wind of all this and, and very lovingly he, he addresses his church and he says, Hey, listen, I know this is, is really, really hard. And I know this is really painful. I know we have a really good thing going here and this fellowship is beautiful and the worship and the spiritual family and all of these things are really, really good. And I know that sending two or 300 of our people across the country really disrupts all of that. But I just want to remind you, just want to remind you that we get to do this fellowship, worship, spiritual family. We get to do this forever. We get to do this for all eternity. And right now, we are running a race. And there are people in that city and cities all across the globe who are far from God. And we've been invited into the work of carrying the good news to them. Friends, where have we grown complacent? Where have we grown satisfied? Maybe with really good things, but they're things that are drawing us away from the work that God has saved us into. That doesn't mean that we all move across the country or around the world and become missionaries. 
because that's not where Jesus is taking all of us. Might be where he's taking some of us, probably is. What it does mean is that we need to ask Jesus, Jesus, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And wherever he leads us, we either say yes and we follow him into that work or like the rich young ruler, we walk away sad because the cost to follow Jesus, to really follow Jesus is just too great. So if walking in the way of Jesus is what it really means to be a Christian, identity rooted in the the Father's affirmation, tempted and tried in the wilderness, walking in the good works prepared before us, the question is, where in the world do we go from here? Because I don't know about you, but Jesus has set the bar so high. And, and also, he's Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's an issue that we've got to grapple with, right? And, and some of us can get stuck in that place, right? We, we look at this and we go like, wait a minute. Jesus is Jesus. This isn't fair. Like, hang on. The whole time that, that Jesus is preaching and performing miracles and casting out demons and being perfect and doing all the things that you're telling us to do, like, He is God, right? That's pretty convenient, right? But let's back up. Look at this one small detail. What happened at Jesus' baptism? You see the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. In John's gospel, John the Baptist is actually quoted as saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And then throughout this passage and all throughout the Gospels, we we see Jesus described as being driven by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Here's why that matters. The same Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus and remained on him in the waters of baptism, who led Jesus through the wilderness and enabled him to overcome the evil one, who empowered Jesus for every bit of life and ministry, every bit, that same spirit now surges through each and every one of us who are joined by faith to Jesus. So if the question is, how do we do this? The answer is, just like Jesus did it. 